On this episode of Blue 58, I don't even know what to say. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to episode number 100 of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I've been thinking for weeks, what should we do for episode number 100? That seems like a big, important number, big round number. What do we do? It seems like we, do, we should do something special, and I don't think I could have ever come up with something more special than this. Here it is now, almost quarter after 12 in the morning here in Northwest Ohio where I live. And I get to sit here and talk about the Packers with you wonderful people. I hope you are enjoying your Monday morning because it's a special one. Go to every Chicago Bears website you can find and just enjoy, enjoy it. Just enjoy every little bit of it. And beyond talking about just how great Aaron Rodgers was, I think the best way to talk about this game is to just go straight through it. We'll talk a little bit about the first half, answer a couple questions there, and then dive into the wildness that was the second half. So how did Chicago build its lead? The question going into this game was how much, if anything, had Chicago closed the gap on the Packers? I think we see pretty clearly now that thanks to Matt Nagy and a lot of the things that he does on offense, coupled with the defense that was already pretty good, the gap is very small, if it exists at all. And I think you saw early on why Matt Nagy has a very well-deserved reputation as an offensive, I don't want to say mastermind, but an offensive guy. He put Mitchell Trubisky in positions to make plays and in position, even more importantly, to just do the right thing. It's so important when you have a young quarterback to not put them in positions where they are going to screw up because they will screw up. They will make mistakes. They will mess up easy reads. They will overthink things. And if you can dumb the game down for them, but still keep your offense versatile and diverse, you're in a position to succeed. And you're going to put them in a position that he showed that he can do that. The Bears ran out a lot of diverse formations. They did a lot of interesting things with motion and they kept Mitchell Trubisky and the entire offense on schedule. Five times in the first half, they had second and five or less. And that's really exactly where you want to be. You just keep making short plays and stay on schedule and don't get behind. Don't force Mitchell Trubisky to have to convert third and seven, third and eight, something like that. It's much easier to live on third and two or third and three. Part of that comes from having Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen around, or Cohen if you're Al Michaels and his East Coast accent. East Coast accent is the only one you can get away with having if you're in the media. If you sound like anything else outside of Keith Jackson and his wonderful Southern drawl that he had, you're just going to get, you're never going to get on air. But Al Michaels and a lot of the folks at ESPN have really obnoxious East Coast accents, and Michaels really isn't that noticeable compared to some of the people who get on air for ESPN. Minor gripe, whatever. I love Al Michaels. This game also made me wonder a little bit after what we saw from the Bears early on and the Packers' defense throughout the game if Mike Pettin is a bit of a counterpuncher as a defensive coordinator. Throughout the preseason and now here in the first game of the regular season, we saw offenses on the other sidelines start fast. And uh, we saw Mike Pettin then throughout the game sort of figure things out and slow them down, outside of the Pittsburgh game, really. Offenses would start fast. They'd often score on their first one or two possessions or first or second possession, uh, one of the two. And then Pettin would slowly tighten the screws and keep them under wraps. 
that seems to be what happened in this game. As things went on, it became a lot more apparent that the Packers were kind of figuring Trubisky out. I wouldn't say they entirely shut down the Bears' offense, but as we got further into the game, you had a lot more confidence in the Packers' defense, particularly the secondary. There were a few plays down the stretch where it was very clear that the Packers were getting to Trubisky or getting close to him at least because there was coverage downfield. And I don't remember that happening hardly at all over the last couple seasons with Dom Capers in charge. So that was encouraging to see. The Bears were also able to build their lead early on because the Packers were utterly disjointed on offense, largely because of Justin McCray. He killed their first two drives pretty much single-handedly. Two holds and a strip sack, and he may have played a role in Aaron Rodgers' injury. That injury happened because there was nowhere for Aaron Rodgers to go, just an utter failure across the line by the offensive line. He, it looked like he wanted to escape the pocket to the right, but Brian Bulaga was taking Khalil Mack up the field, and so there was nowhere to go there. Then he tries to step up. There's nothing there. He gives himself up. A big old Bears defensive lineman falls on his leg, and we know the story from there. And then Chris Collinsworth said something utterly stupid. As the Packers are starting their next drive with Deshaun Kaiser at quarterback, he says something to the effect of even Bears hate to see that. Even Bears fans hate to see that as Aaron Rodgers gets carted off the field. What a load of baloney. Uh, I've been on Twitter, Chris. Come on. You know what's going on here. Bears fans are rejoicing here in the heat of the moment. Uh, Come on. Everybody does that. Nobody's like, hmm, I just feel bad that I don't get to see Aaron Rodgers play against my favorite team. That's just too bad. No, you're thinking, this is great. Everything is going as well as it possibly could. If you are a Bears fan, our new defensive pickup, Khalil Mack, looks utterly unstoppable. Aaron Rodgers is leaving this game probably for good as far as we knew at the time. Things are going great. My second-year quarterback looks amazing. The offensive looks unstoppable. There there were no tears being shed in Chicago for the Green Bay Packers. Let's take a second to talk about Khalil Mack. Absolutely as good as advertised, right? Uh, I think the one graphic or one stat that ESP, or ESPN, excuse me, NBC talked about really summed things up. Uh, they, they showed a graphic that showed that he's the only person since they started tracking sacks and forced fumbles to have a sack an interception, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery all in a single half. To tell you exactly how rare it is to get that stat line, not just in a half, but at all, there were only 17 players in the entire NFL last year who had a single sack, interception, forced fumble, and fumble recovery on their stat sheet for the entire year. The entire year it took some of these people to come up with those stat lines. Mack did it in one half. That was amazing. Now, he did get a little bit of help because Deshaun Kaiser seemed to be on a mission to get the ball to Khalil Mack. He made both of Mack's biggest plays for him. Credit Mack for getting things done, but Kaiser ran directly into him on the strip sack and then threw the ball directly to him on the interception. Come on! Uh, just there, there were moments there where I just was thinking, 
boy, it, it's kind of cruelly ironic that the Raiders must have thought that the Bears draft picks were going to be more valuable than the Packers because watching Deshaun Kaiser play here, we either better call Kaepernick by halftime or get ready to be 0-16 because this is not going to be pretty. It was going to be ugly with Deshaun Kaiser if he ends up having to go the entire season. Fortunately, that did not work out. Things did not work out that way. I think the Packers' original game plan did very little to slow Khalil Mack down. And you saw as the game went on, and they had to put short drops in for Rodgers, run him out of pistol and shotgun almost exclusively, Mack sort of disappeared a little bit. But when they were just trying to run their basic standard offense, deeper drops, uh, longer developing plays, Mack was a problem, a big problem for the Packers. But the quicker they ran the offense, the less of a force he ended up being. Let's move on to the second half. I don't even know how to describe this. I haven't seen anything like it. I wanted to say this was similar to the Dallas comeback in 2013 when uh, Matt Flynn and Eddie Lacy brought the Packers back, but even then, it just felt different than that. When the Pack or when the Bears rather, excuse me, scored early in the second half, making it 20 to nothing, I wondered if the, the Packers would send Rodgers out at all. They did, of course, and away they went. I think what you saw in the second half was the 2014 Packers offense. That was the year that Rodgers was dealing with that calf injury for the entire pretty much second half of the season. That's when they really started running the pistol a lot, a lot of quick throws, a lot of minimal movement for Rodgers. And I think in a lot of ways, this is actually the best way for Rodgers to play. When he's playing on schedule, on time, just getting the ball out quick, The offense is virtually unstoppable. Sure, he does a lot of great things when he extends plays, but just having Rodgers execute an offense at its most basic level is better than any quarterback who has ever played the game. It's it's that good. And he shows now that he only needs one leg to run this offense. He did it on one leg in 2014. He did it on one leg tonight. Technically, last night, if we're going by when the what the, the time really is here. I think in a lot of ways, this also shows that Mike McCarthy may actually be a better coach than anybody gives him credit for. Because when Aaron Rodgers actually runs the plays as they're called, the offense just hums. And it's unstoppable. It, we saw it, like I said, in 2014. We're seeing it again now. Rodgers running Mike McCarthy's plays, how they're called, works really, really well. The second half, actually, in a weird sort of twist here on the theme on McCarthy, hinged on two big decisions by Mike McCarthy. The first drive of the second half, the Packers move the ball down the field, but they get shoved into a fourth and nine after, I thought, a bad pass by Rodgers to Jimmy Graham that looked like he was trying to get Jimmy Graham killed. Rodgers wants to go for it, fourth and nine, but McCarthy sends the field goal unit onto the field despite Rodgers trying to put them back off the field. They kick the field goal. The score is 20 to three. Who cares if the score is 20 to three? 20 to three is still a three possession game to tie at best. And you're going to need a fourth possession to get ahead, assuming the Bears don't score at all. But on the other hand, time-wise, it may have worked out for the Packers just taking the points when they got them because the Bears went on a couple semi-long drive. The eighth drive of the game for the Packers showed exactly why the Packers may have been right to stick with Geronimo Allison. Um, Rodgers clearly trusts him like crazy. 
And on that drive, the one that culminated with his long touchdown down the right side where he beat um, uh, Kyle Fuller for the score, it, it just it was the best I think we've ever seen from Geronimo Allison. We got a little bit of it as a rookie in that Detroit game in Week 17. This is the full Allison experience. He's sneaky fast, apparently. I think this is the the real deep shot play we've seen from him, other than that catch and run he had against the Bengals last year. And this one felt a little bit different. It wasn't just pure speed on the on the Bengals play. He showed he can get deep. He showed he can make the catches on the tough outs. He had three catches in a row at one point. And, and to circle back to this, Rodgers clearly trusts him in a big way. And that can't be understated. Big, big stuff there from Geronimo Allison. On the Bears' next drive, Ha Ha Clinton Dix makes what might be the best single tackle I've ever seen him make. Bears go first and 10 to second and five, setting up you know that ideal down and distance for them again. They pick up four yards, setting up a third and one, and they try to run that throwback play to the tight end. It's just the tight end and Ha Ha Clinton Dix on that side of the field, and Clinton Dix wraps him up short of the first down mark, all by himself, an incredible, incredible play. The ninth drive is where I started to believe. Because it starts with a Brian Bulaga false start. Second or first and 15, they pick up five, and then Devontae Adams explodes for a huge play, all made possible by Jamal Williams. And I want to take a second to talk about Jamal Williams here. Because I think we saw this... This, in a way, is the perfect Jamal Williams game. It really shows you who Jamal Williams is as a player. And as a player, he's like a slightly faster John Kuhn. I, I, this sounds like an insult, but it's not. I, I promise it's not. Um, he's trustworthy as a player. He doesn't put the ball on the ground. He catches the ball if you throw it to him. He's not going to get big yards, though because he's really only going to get you exactly what is available on a run play. He's never going to make a play into something more. He occasionally will make it into something a little bit less, because he doesn't hit the holes as quickly as you would often like. But the thing that is best about Jamal Williams is that he is ultra, ultra reliable in pass protection. Danny Trevathan had a free shot at Aaron Rodgers on this big play to Devontae Adams. And Jamal Williams steps in and stones him cold. Just a world-class block by Jamal Williams on one of the most important plays of the game. It sets up just a couple of plays later, a touchdown by Devontae Adams. This one was really cool to see because... um, I got to give a shout out to my wife here who stayed up for the entire game to watch it with me, despite not being the world's biggest football fan. And despite having a very, very busy week coming up at work, she stayed up late, watched the entire game and stuck it out even through (laughs) a very stressful ending. We got to see the, the Packers play the Pittsburgh Steelers in the preseason and got to see the only time Aaron Rodgers played at all in the preseason in that game. As you'll remember, uh, they managed to isolate Jimmy Graham on a linebacker to score a touchdown. The play design, the play setup on the Adams touchdown was virtually identical to that play against Pittsburgh, and it affected the coverage that the Bears were able to play because 
They were trying to account for Graham and Adams on that side of the field together, so Prince of Mukamara played a little bit deeper than he probably would have normally. Adams managed to get a catch underneath. He was so close to the end zone that Amukamara really couldn't make a play, and Adams gets into the end zone anyway. An impressive, an impressive, impressive play, and it shows the value both of, I guess, of everyone here. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, of course, but Jimmy Graham and Devontae Adams. What a play by Adams. The Bears' ninth drive. At one point during this drive, uh, they had a, a dead ball, and I think they went to commercial. And I looked over at my wife and I said, I think I'm going to throw up because I was I never realized how much of a nervous nervous sweater I am. My body temperature still hasn't come down to normal. It was Touch and go there for a while. This was an impressive drive by the Bears. They set up a, a second and three, um, the second play of the of the of the drive. Coverage is good deep. Mike Daniels gets a little bit of pressure. They put the Bears into third and three. They run the QB sweep and pick it up. So there's one first down conversion, third down conversion. Excuse me. The Packers get the Bears into second and long, but the Bears respond, get it to third and two, and convert again. First and ten. The Bears are forced again into a third and long, third and seven, and who converts but Anthony Miller, the guy that a lot of Packers fans really wanted in Green Bay. Then on first and 10, Jordan Howard breaks what looks like is going to be a 22-yard game. I'm looking at my game notes right now. I actually wrote the words game over on the sheet because it looked like the game was going to come to an end there. The Bears were just too deep. They're going to run too much clock for the Packers to get things back. It was it was looking pretty dire. The Packers take a timeout, and we come back from the timeout to learn that Mike McCarthy has challenged the play, and it looks like it's going to be not overturned, but it looks like they're going to move the Bears back a few yards and give the Packers a timeout back. Here's the sequence from there. Mitch Trubisky bobbles the snap on first and 10, thanks to a bad, high snap. Second and 13, Jordan Howard shows great patience, and Clay Matthews gets destroyed on the backside. We'll talk about Clay Matthews here in a second. Setting up a third and one. What happens on third and one? The Bears manage to get Tariq Cohen isolated on Reggie Gilbert, of all people. But because of some pressure... Mitch Trubisky doesn't see him. There's a drop. The clock stops. The Bears have to kick a field goal, and the Packers are in business. Before the Packers' decisive drive here, Aaron Rodgers is laughing on the sideline with Mike McCarthy. Then on the very first play, what happens but almost the very, very worst thing imaginable? Devontae Adams falls down, gets tangled up on what looked like an attempted pick play, And the ball goes right into Kyle Fuller's chest, and he drops it. Aren't you glad he didn't sign that or didn't didn't have the opportunity to come to Green Bay on that offer sheet now? He drops the pick six. He gives up the deep touchdown to Geronimo Allison. Thank God for the Bears' uh, brain trust, and thank goodness for Kyle Fuller. Second and 10, nothing doing. Third and 10, I said to myself as the Packers are coming to the line, all right, just get half here. We'll go for it on fourth and five. But no, Randall Cobb forever. Shakes loose a man after Rodgers buys a little time and sprints to the end zone with big help downfield from Ty Montgomery. 
Downfield blocks make big plays. And Ty Montgomery blocked Leonard Floyd not once but twice downfield. And Cobb outran Khalil Mack, who looked absolutely gassed towards the end of that play. And he's into the end zone. I just can't believe it. The final Bears drive. Uh, It looks like everything that you could hope for from the Packers. Josh Jackson has good coverage on Allen Robinson on a good play. Jair Alexander breaks up a deep pass on 4th and 10. Game over, right? No. Clay Matthews. When he wasn't ineffective in this game, he was making boneheaded plays. we got to have a discussion at some point this week about Clay Matthews. But Nick Perry bails out Clay Matthews late as Mitch Trubisky finally makes a mistake running himself kind of into the into the pass rush. Nick Perry gets the strip sack. Game over. The Packers complete the comeback. Unbelievable. What does this mean? Well, as much as I would like this to mean that the Packers are in great shape, that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense are just going to be unstoppable, as we saw in the second half, I don't think you can put too much stock into what you saw from either team tonight. Teams grow and change over the course of the year. And the, the, the team that the Packers are going to see in Chicago later this season is going to be markedly different. To say nothing of the injuries that could happen between now and then, teams just grow and mature and become different over time. So we'll see what happens there. I, I wouldn't count on the Packers having the Bears number just because of how things turned out here. Second, we have to figure out what Rodgers' injury means for the Packers. Uh, it forces, on the one hand, Mike McCarthy to be more creative with the offense, which is never bad. It forces Aaron Rodgers to play on schedule, which is always good. But it could affect the course of the rest of the season. Uh, as much as those other two elements are good, you still would love Aaron Rodgers to be able to play the way Aaron Rodgers wants to be able to play for an entire season. And I don't know if we're going to get that. Knee injuries are tricky, and we don't really know exactly what this knee injury is yet. Rodgers said after the game, per Rob Domovsky, that his left knee injury, I'm quoting from Domovsky's uh, Twitter feed here, uh, Rodgers said his left knee injury is the same one that he had a surgical cleanup on after the 2015 season, which is also his ACL knee from high school. As you'll remember, Aaron Rodgers tore his ACL in high school, had it replaced with a cadaver ACL, um, which he credits to increasing his 40-yard dash time. I don't know if that's real or not, if that's something that can actually happen, but he seems to believe, maybe tongue-in-cheek, that it did. So who knows? Um, You get the feeling that Aaron Rodgers had a big part in his return to the field in this one. So... What does that say about the Packers' injury staff? I don't know if we can draw any conclusions here at 12.30 in the morning, um, but you have to think that they let him on the field at all had has something to do with the severity of the injury. And if they thought there was any chance that he would injure it further, they would have kept him out. They would have had to. They, would have been, they wouldn't have been doing their job as team doctors if they didn't. And I know this is the NFL and things... Suspect injury things happen every week. Let's just say it that way. But I, given what we know about the Packers, Packers medical staff, I just have a hard time believing that that's a possibility. Who knows? We also have to learn who else may be hurt. Devontae Adams looked pretty rough at times, especially after he grabbed his hamstring after a play early in the game. Anybody on defense have injuries that show up throughout the week? We'll figure that out soon. 
and whether or not Oren Burks can come back. He was the sort of guy that would have been really nice to have in this game because it would have allowed the Packers to play a little bit more traditional defense. They were running a lot of defensive back heavy sets. It would have been nice to have a guy like Oren Burks out there throughout the game. So uh, if any injury, injuries pop up that force the Packers into different sort of sets on offense, or on defense rather, that could be an interesting trend as we go into uh, what's sure to be a big game here. Because the next opponent here could be a bit of a problem. You may have heard the Minnesota Vikings have a great defense. And they have the sort of defense that gives Aaron Rodgers some trouble when he is healthy. We talked at length, boy, it was two years ago now on the podcast, about the double A-gap blitz that the Minnesota Vikings run. The Vikings like to blitz essentially right up the middle, off the center's right and left shoulders. That is a problem in the best of circumstances. And in a situation where your starting quarterback's knee is not at 100%, it gets to be even more concerning. I would expect, I mean, not that they wouldn't already, but I would expect the the Vikings to come hard and heavy after Aaron Rodgers with the blitz, especially right up the middle, and test that knee as much as they possibly can. It's going to be another tough game for the Packers, but if they can start out 2-0 with two key wins over divisional rivals, that would be pretty great. So we'll see where we go from here. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. I'm going to go and get a little bit of sleep. But before I do that, I just want to, I guess, humbly ask you if you would consider supporting us on Patreon. We are doing a lot more content this year than we did last year, at least in terms of the pod. And we we really need your support there if we're going to be able to do a couple of the things that we are trying to do uh, on our end here. So uh, chuck in $1 per month. That's all we're asking. Think of it as paying... If we do just four episodes of the podcast per month, that would be 25 cents per episode. Hopefully the content that we're giving you is worth a quarter. If you would be willing to support us at thepowersweep.com or excuse me, at patreon.com slash thepowersweep, it would just mean the world to me. If that's not your style, check out our Teespring store. Click the store link at thepowersweep.com. We've got some great looking shirts there. It would, it would, mean a lot to me if you would choose to support us that way because we got some great stuff going on behind the scenes here might even start dabbling in a little bit of video we will see what goes on there but um i do want to i guess here on episode number 100 ask if you would consider supporting us that way uh we do appreciate all the support that you have given us over the i guess years now uh making this show what it is i'm ever so thankful for for that and uh, we will see you again later this week on blue 58 Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Blue 58, hit, hit.